very unfortunate. I just saved that dude. That symbolism of the rainbow and the hijacked by ungodly things and spirits in this world. Because the rainbow has been and always will be the sign of God's covenant with us. He said, no, as long as you can see it, every time you see it, you'll know that I'll never again destroy the earth with flood. And I know he didn't make every one of his promises with a visible sign such as that. We do know that all his promises are true. Just as soon as he promised Noah that he didn't have to worry, he didn't have to be afraid because rains, we're not going to get a day the earth again. You and I don't have to be afraid. Because the Lord is coming. And He's coming for those that are looking for Him. And those that are waiting on Him. Church, I'm looking for Him to come. I'm waiting for Him to come. My heart is crying out, Lord, come swiftly. Which means I know He's coming for me. Truly, the Lord is coming soon. Soon. I know it's been said for thousands of years, but in that, how much sooner can we be? How much closer can we be? With every breath that we take, we're one breath closer. To the coming of the Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to go home and be with Him. This world is not my home. I was made, you were made from this world, but there's something inside of us that didn't come from here. Come from heaven. You have your Bibles. Like to go with me to the book of First Chronicles. You don't like turning any pages. You just hang out and The book of First Chronicles, chapter twenty-three. I'd like to read a few verses, beginning in verse twenty-five. The Bible says, "For David said, The Lord God of Israel hath given rest unto His people, that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever." I know this was a promise in the Old Testament, but can't you wait until the day we get to go home? Also, to the Levites, that they shall no more carry the tabernacle, nor any of the vessels of it, for the service thereof. And all of their labors come to an end. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered 20 years old and above, because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord in the courts and in the chambers and in the purifying of all holy things and the work of the service of the house of God, both for the showbread and for the fine flour, for meat offering and for the unleavened cakes, for that which is baked in the pan and for that which is fried, and for all matter of measure and size, and to stand everywhere. To thank and praise the Lord. Likewise, at even. To offer all burnt sacrifices unto the Lord in the Sabbaths and the new moons and on the set feasts by number, according to the order commanded unto them continually before the Lord. And they should keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the holy place and the charge of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the service of the house of the Lord. It's what we are here to do. You were called out of this world, out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were made to sit together in heavenly places. We were fed in the very bread of life himself. God has called us until he comes to keep the charge of the house of God. To make the church be what the church
folks done. They're laid in order every day, every night until Jesus comes. I want to minister to you tonight one more time on the blueprint of the church. Would you lift up your hands, your voices, praise the Lord with me. God, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for the privilege and the honor that we have to come into your house. Lord, because we walk through the doors of this place freely, without hindrance, without opposition. Lord, we came into this place without fear, lifted up our hands and our voices to praise our holy God. And for that alone, Lord, we give you thanks tonight. We pray that your spirit will abide with us in this place until your work is done. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in the Word of God. Now, we have been going through the various components of the tabernacle, the various things that make up the house of God in the Old Testament and how those things transfer, how those things are instructed to you and I living in the New Testament church. You and I that, are, that we know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost and, and we know that any place that we gather together, God is there with us. But we still see things that were a part of the patterns of God's house that will never change. And those things need to be found in the church today. They need to be found among us at all times until Jesus comes. They need to be there in what we do and how we live. And truly, they need to be a part of every one of our services every time we gather together in the house of God. And so, here in the Old Testament, where we've kind of been living through this series, we flash forward just a little bit in time to the point where the, the church, the quote-unquote church, the building, isn't moving anywhere anymore. All the way up until this point, it had been a, a, a mobile building. It had been a, a moving institution. It was all throughout the wilderness. It, it, was, it was moved every time God's Spirit began to lift up off that, that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud. They would pack everything up and they would move to the next destination until God said stop. And they would set it all back up and do everything all over again. And then even when they got into the land of Canaan, there was still a period of time before God's house really became settled in one place. And it was a period of time before all of these things began to come together and its home became permanent. And so here is where we're at in Scripture. We've gotten to the place where the church isn't moving around any longer. It's going to be in Jerusalem and forever in Jerusalem was it going to be. And so we once had this army of people, basically. We had this army of men whose job it was to carry everything, to carry everything, to set it up and to take it down, to fold it up and to unfold it, to prepare it to, and put everything in order. It was their job. It was what they did their whole life is what they were called to be. They were a son of, of Levi, and so their responsibility was either to be a priest if they were the son of Aaron, or they were simply going to be one of these men, one of these many people that did the service of the house of God. They were there to, to do all of that work. And now that the house wasn't moving any longer, what in the world were they going to do? Anybody ever had a job like that before? You know, you're paid to do a certain thing, and then all of a sudden somebody in love you decides I'm not going to do that certain thing anymore, and you're like, well, what you want me to do? What am I going to spend all the rest of my time doing? Because sure hoping you're not giving me the pink slip, so if I'm working here, what am I going to do? These, these men have given their lives to, to, to setting up the, tent, the tabernacle and taking it down. They were the ones that were there to, to take the charge of all of that stuff. And now the house wasn't going to move anymore. They were about to build the permanent temple, the permanent place in the name of their God. It, David was making all the preparations. David had gathered all the materials. But Solomon was now going to be king. And Solomon was going to oversee the work he had done to build this temple. And God's name was going to be in Jerusalem. 
forever. Was it going to be in the wilderness any longer? Now, now you and I know that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you don't, you probably weren't listening the last time I said that. We know that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We know that we're not to stay put. God didn't call us to go hide on a mountain somewhere. He didn't call us to take our life and put it under a bushel. He called us to be alive into a dark world. He called us to go into every place, into all the corners of the earth, and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what the church is called to do. But we can still get some insight. We can still get some revelation from the things that took place once they became settled. Once they became settled, where they were established in their land. What should we be like as a settled church? Now, I'm not saying I want us to be a settled church in the sense that we're not evangelists for the truth. But I'm talking about the fact that we're a settled church because this building don't move. It stays here. It's a body of believers that, that for the most part have, have set up camp here. They build homes here. They have jobs here. And this is the community in which God has planted you. And so, so what, what can we take from this? Because of, you know things aren't always like this for a while when new churches are planned or, or missionaries go into uncharted territory. It, it takes a little while for things to become a little more permanent, but eventually they always do. Eventually, where the, the body of Christ grows, people settle down, and, and they, they form a church. And so what do we see right out of the gate taking place once it's decided that the house of God is not going to move anymore? The first thing that we see coming out of all of this is order. Order. Now, it's not to say that there wasn't order before. Because there always was. You, you can't simply move, you know, you can't simply move 100 million people through the wilderness, or whatever the number was back then, without there being order. It, it, this, these scriptures simply reinforce this idea that God is a God of order. All of these men, all of these people, they were going to have jobs. They were going to have responsibilities about the house of God. Anybody think you can be an unemployed saint still? Because if you can, you might just start looking for another church. I don't believe in it. The Bible will believe it. There's no such thing as an unemployed child of God. God didn't call you just to sit down and bask in the glory of the temple. He called us to do the work of the house of God, which meant that everybody had a job. Everybody had responsibilities. Everybody had a job in the scriptures. I don't think that's true. You don't see it by time done, right? Everybody had job descriptions. A lot of them had something like that because there was a right way and there was a wrong way to do things. Now, I know there's some of you folks out there. And my mother in law's not listening tonight, so you know she's going to be able to hear it. But it has been said of her in the past there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And there's a lot of them. There was a right way and a wrong way to do things in the house of God. They, they, things had to be scheduled, things had to be planned, and things had to be executed exactly how God wanted them to be done. Why? Because it was his house. Because he's a God of order. Because he's a God that, that has always been a God of order. And so therefore, the building and the house and the assembly of believers that was going to represent who he is had to reflect that very same thing. We've got to retire the thinking that church just happens. Church just doesn't just happen. If it does just happen, it wasn't supposed to just happen. David didn't see it that way. David was a man after God's own heart, and he did not see church as something that, hey, everybody, if you have to be free on this, this Sabbath afternoon, just stroll on down to the house of God and see what happens. He didn't see it that way at all. 
He didn't see that for, for one moment. And David wasn't even the priest. He wasn't even the one that, that had been raised up to oversee everything in the house of God. But he was the king. He had been in battle. He, had, he was sitting on the throne. And the kingdom has rules. And the kingdom has officers. And, and the kingdom had an army and had a way of doing things in a way that things weren't done. So should the house of God have the same things. I've said for a number of years, maybe somebody else wanted to be said it too, but you know, I, I've encountered a lot of you know, business and leadership and management type things that I've read and been taught and so on and so forth. And I've said for a long time, the, the things that really work out of all that, because they don't all work, the things that actually work and the things that are really good, they all come from the same place. They all come from right here. I enjoy reading John Maxwell, but everything John Maxwell says that works comes from this. It comes from the Word of God because God's a God of order. God's, he's our creator. He knows how we tend because he's full of us. And so it's no wonder that, that we see, and I'm not talking about the other gods and the influences of sin, but some of the things that we see that are orderly, some of the things that are the opposite of chaotic that we see in the world, the whole idea that things should be that way came from God. They came from the Word of God. We often think sometimes that the, that the moving of the Spirit of the Lord looks kind of like chaos, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Go with me to the book of First Chronicles. I told you you could just kind of hang out there tonight. First Chronicles chapter 13. I want you to see that God is concerned about what we do and how we do it. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 6, and David went up, same man we're talking about, and all Israel to Balaam, that is to Kirtith-Jira, which belongs to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims whose name is called on it. He's bringing the ark of God, the, the, the one thing of all the things in the house of God that completely represented him, his presence, his power, his authority. It was the ark of the covenant. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. David and all Israel played before God with all his might, with singing, with harps, with psalteries, with temples, with cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. It certainly would look like he had all the best of intentions. Now, I don't know what was in Uzzah's heart. I don't know if he was just, just a fool, or if he was someone that he had the best of intentions, but just had an appointment with a mistake. I, I don't know. It sure looks like he had good intentions, but it says the anger of God was kindled against us, and he struck him dead. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon us. Wherefore, that place is called Perazuzza to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? David wanted the ark of God in Jerusalem. He wanted the ark of God in the place where it belonged. He wanted the ark of God set up there in that city that God said, my eyes are always going to be there. My name's always going to be there. I'm going to establish it forever. He wanted so desperately to get the ark of God that Saul never seemed to have the time of day to go and bring back. David said, I'm going to bring back the ark of God and put it in its rightful place. And he flopped. Messed up. The man paid for it with his life. Why, why did all of this happen? Why did all of this occur? First Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 1, just a little bit later, David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for him in Tim. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. 
For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Verse 12 says, And said unto them, talking to the same folks, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. After the due order. God is not pleased with this order. If we don't have these things in our church, these things that the Lord has opened our eyes to over the past few weeks, if these things are not present in our church, if our hearts are not right, if our minds are not right, if our understanding is not right, according to the work and the word and the will of God, then we should stop expecting God to move. We should stop expecting revival and stop expecting harvest if we're not willing to come to the house of God with a clean heart. If we're not willing to wash ourselves in the word of God. If we're not willing to go down to the altar despite the fact that I've got a headache or I've got a backache when somebody's soul needs to be, to be prayed through to the Holy Ghost. If we forget the fact that we've got to be led by the light of the Holy Ghost. If we forget the fact that we don't we don't have to be unified on the table in his presence. If we forget the fact that his house is a house of prayer for all people and for all time, if we don't do things according to God's order, he will not bless it. Heard it said before, I didn't make it up. I wish I did because it sounds pretty good. It said we need to stop praying for God to bless what we're doing and start doing what God is blessing. His word is filled with examples of the things that he blesses. And if I want to be blessed, I need to get with the program. I need to get in the word. I need to get into the spirit and do the things that God's already promised. I'm going to bless until I come. He said that I have charged you. I have charged you to do the work of the house of God forever. Forever. Our work may look a lot different on the outside, but the spiritual work that you and I do as children of God is the same. It is the same. God is not pleased when we don't give our all and when we don't make church the best that it should be. God deserves our best. There's not enough time tonight to, to read all the scriptures about the materials that were made, that were used to make the house of God. Now we know, we know that there are no materials on earth that can adequately give glory to God. We know because Jesus himself said, what kind of house can you build me? What kind of house can you build me? What was the significance of everything that went into the house of God? It wasn't because God needed it. It's not because God even wanted it. But it was a reflection of how they felt about God. I believe with all my heart, David would have bankrupted the kingdom if he had to, to make sure that every man that ever saw that building knew exactly how he felt about his God. He took the best of all of Israel, even the best of the nations around them, to build the house of God because that is what God deserves. We've got to stop living our life, giving our best to everything that's out there six days a week, and dragging ourselves in here half awake, half able to get off the pew. Have they able to push out all the distraction and the trouble and the turmoil for the rest of this world? I know we got to live those other six days. I know we got to deal with the wicked world. But at the same time, our hearts and our minds have got to be fixed on the work of the house of God. We have got to wake up in the morning and we've got to lay our heads down at night giving thanks and praise unto God. Now, now let's go back to where we started. First Chronicles chapter 23. Same chapter we started in, but I want to start, just read a few verses beginning at verse 1. Verse 1 says, So when David was old and full of days, 
He made Solomon his son king over Israel, but he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their homes, man by man, was 30 and 8,000, of which 20 and 4,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord, and 6,000 were officers and judges. Moreover, 4,000 were porters, and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise their will. There were 38,000 Levites. Now, in all likelihood, there were millions of, you know, ordinary Israelites. Everybody else, the people that, that, that lived and conducted their business every day. There were 38,000 people that were numbered, 38,000 men, age 30 and upward, that didn't include all those that were younger than that. 38,000 of them were there. <clears throat> 24,000 of them were there for the work of the house. 6,000 of them were officers and judges. 4,000 of them were porters. That word means a doorkeeper or a janitor. You just thought that wasn't a spiritual word. Huh? 4,000 praised with instruments. What does this tell us? It tells us again that every one of them had a job. Every one of them had a responsibility. The Bible in the New Testament teaches us that everything we need is in the body. It's the word. It's not me. Everything that we need is in the body. No matter how frustrating it may be sometimes, because you know sometimes members of the body don't want to do what they're supposed to do, everything that we need is in the body. What that means is this, church, we have everything that we need right here, right now, tonight, in this building to be able to have revival, to be able to have a harvest, to be able to see this church filled and overflowing and our community turned upside down. Why can I so confidently say it? Because the Word says it. The body edifies itself. Everyone has their place in the work of God's house. No one is exempt. There is something for every one. All of those things are critically important. So important that janitors made the headlines of Scripture. All of these things are essential for the house of God to be what it should be. I want to draw our attention specifically tonight to the last verse that I read to you out of that list of job descriptions. Because David said, there are 4,000 that praise the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. I want to read, I want to, to go in this direction because of all the things that we've talked about throughout this series, we, we have we can obviously see where they are. We, we know that we come in and we get taught and we get preached to and we know that the altar is there and we pray people through and we baptize them in the name of Jesus. And so the things that are that are commonplace in our worship services every time we gather together, we talk about all of them except one. And it's the thing that, at least in the world and the culture in which we live today, is usually the most notable one. Even more so than we're talking about It is the music. It is the singers and the worshipers and the musicians. David said back, back in those, those first verses that I read to you, one of those verses said, and to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. Why include these verses? Well, I understand when we, when we came to the altar, we came to the labor, and then we stood in the light of the candlestick, and, and we sat at the table of His presence, and, and we were there, and, and, and there where the altar of incense was. I understand that, that, that we came with a thankful heart, and we were supposed to not come in the door without that. You know, into His gates with Thanksgiving into his court 
say that, hey, I, I love the Lord on the inside. Why even build a house for God in Jerusalem? David was a man after God's own heart. David wasn't recorded as a man who built God's glorious house. He was a man after God's own heart. God knew how much David loved him. David didn't have to build a building to prove it. The building did nothing to add to the glory of God. The building attracted the attention of people. It was an outward expression of the opinion, the high opinion that we have of our God. It was an outward expression. This is where our God's name is. And we have taken all the wealth and all the riches and every blessed thing that God ever put in our hands and we have poured it in this building so that we can, yes, we can show Him, but also so that we can show the world so that they can see this is the house of our God. So should His people not erase any doubt about how they feel about their God? Oh, I understand you love the Word. I understand you're thankful for the revelation that only the Holy Ghost brings. But I've come to tell you, if it means that much to you, somewhere along the line, it's got to come out your mouth. It's got to come out of your hands. It's got to come out of your feet. Because there's got to be something inside of you that says, I'm not letting the morning pass, and I'm not letting my life go and comes unless I rise to my feet and I lift up my voice and I begin to praise the Lord. If there's anything we remember David for that is good, it's all those things that he wrote in the book of Psalms. It's all those things that he sang and he worshiped and he said things like, Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together at all times and until Jesus comes. His house and the houses of his people should ever be filled with
cannot have a right relationship with God and not praise Him. Amen. If you don't believe me, well, you, you just don't know Him. Maybe you never knew him, or maybe maybe you didn't know him, but you just forgot. Maybe the, the enemy of your soul has just got your eyes off of him. Because if you can get your eyes on Jesus, if you can get your eyes on the God and step off the throne of heaven and take that as a man and bread and pie for the people that rejected him and reviled him because he loved you more than your mind even has the ability to imagine. When you can get your eyes on that, when you can get your eyes on him, he'll make you praise him. Oh, I have this. Let's be Bible study, right? Why does he always going to preach every time he's Bible study? Why have this here? Why, why, why give it the King David treatment? I mean, isn't it all just spontaneous? Isn't it all just, does it really even matter how we sing it or what we sing? Or I guess it matters, but it sure seems to cause more church trouble than anything else. Our churches have probably been split over somebody walking up, striking the wrong chord, and just about anything else. First Chronicles chapter 25. Verse 1 says, Moreover, David, the captain of the host, separated to the service of the sons of Asaph, and of Heman, and Jedithan, who should prophesy with harps and psalteries and with cymbals, and the number of the workmen according to their service was. Of the sons of Asaph, Zechor and Joseph, and Nathaniah and Azariah, the sons of Asaph, under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. There's a couple things here. I'm just going to breeze past and get to the real, real good stuff. First, he says, according to the order of the king. That reinforces order. David said, there's going to be worship in God's house. There's going to be music. There's going to be song that is sung around the house of God. And then it says, under the hands of Asaph, which means that there were people that were accountable to him. Which means that, you know, you didn't get to just sing whatever you felt like singing. It had to get through Asaph. And there might have been some other reason that maybe sometimes you didn't even understand. But Asaph says, oh, we're not singing that one this week. They were under accountability to those that were over them. But there's something else here I want you to see that, that I breezed right past on purpose. The very first verse, when it reads all these names, these individuals that outside of ASAP, because you've probably seen his name at the top of some of the Psalms and the Book of Psalms, you probably don't recognize the other ones at all. But then it says, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals? So I understand we're reading the English translation, and sometimes we've got to dig a little bit in the Hebrew, but prophesy means prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? Well, we know that the people that normally prophesy are either under the influence of the spirit of prophecy, or they are a prophet. And we read all about prophets in the Old Testament, which is where the scripture is at. So, how did a prophet speak the things that he did? You know, all, I don't remember how many chapters in all things, but all those chapters, how did he write all those things down? How did those things only write this much? I mean, how did those words come into being? They came into being by the influence of the Spirit of God. That, that's what a prophet is doing. The prophet is not just teaching you something out of the word that's already written out. The prophet is speaking on God's behalf. Now I understand that there's sometimes the man of God is in the pulpit and preaches and the spirit of prophecy comes on him and what he's preaching is not just giving you some inspiration to that scripture. It's also giving you the word of God for that moment. But when that spirit begins to work, when the spirit of prophecy begins to work, it's because the Holy 
Holy Ghost would be impressing upon that prophet the words that they should speak. So that when Jeremiah enrolled in the town, it wasn't just a good fault Jeremiah had in the midst of his Bible study last night. It was, thus saith the word of the Lord. God told me to come and tell you such and such. And so now we read here, completely removed from all of those you know, weird prophets that come out of the hills dressed funny and say crazy things and get, their, get our attention that way. That the scripture says that David separated his family. He separated these men to prophesy with instruments. Which means that it was God's intention. It was David's intention for these men to play and to sing under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Talent's important. There's a reason some of us don't get called to sing. We can't sing. We don't, we don't carry a tune very well. There's got to be a joyful noise in the Lord and some things come out of our lips ain't all that joyful. But whether you've got talent or not is not the thing that is most important. The thing that is most important is that you are led by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not up here on the platform singing. If you live it openly and see it, we're not asking those folks to come up and play the piano. If there are folks that are carnal and they will not worship, I'll be painfully honest with you. We don't really do it a whole lot this way anymore. But years ago when we did, it used to be a little bit more chaotic. We'd just come in and call people out and pray. Won't you just come up and sing tonight? Sometimes it was in the Holy Ghost, and sometimes it was you the only one that showed up and sing. But I'm going to be painfully honest with you tonight. There were times that only God himself could have made me call on some folks to sing. Because after I seen to watch you sit there like a lump on a log, and you can't lift up your hands, you can't raise up your voice, you can't ever move and praise God, I'm sure God got to call you up here to lead somebody else to do it. Why? Because even if you can't carry two in the bucket, if you can get the Holy Ghost on you, then you can do the work of God. Because God has called our musicians, He's called our singers, He's called our worshipers to prophesy music. God's house should be filled often with the sound of music. Well, I know there's a time for the, for the keyboard to stop. I know there's a time for the drumsticks to go down. And there's time for us to just tarry in prayer and not be distracted by all those things. But God's the one that made music. God's the one that created it. And we need those that can be led by the Holy Ghost to prophesy. To minister to God's people and especially to the lost. You see, it's an interesting thing in Scripture. This this same man David that we're talking about. You want to know what one of the first jobs was you had when he got to the king's house? It was because an evil spirit troubled Saul. And every time David pulled out that heart. Now I can only imagine.
whether it's in your house or whether it's in your car. Ask yourself this question. Does it praise God? Does it thank God? Does it edify or bring you closer to God? Somebody not rise up and say, hey, I'm not going to go to hell for listening to that kind of music. Well, maybe you won't go to hell for listening to it. But if it don't get you closer to God, you ain't got time for it. If it don't get you closer to God, you don't need it. Because they are not mine. There's a reason I made those instruments. There's a reason I gave you here this great and high responsibility. It's because every morning and every night, I want praise for you, son. What else is prophecy other than something that is spoken by the leading of, your, of the Spirit of the Lord? And when that happens, what does it become? It becomes the Word of God. It becomes His forever settled Word of God, which means there's another purpose to that music. Because if it is there to prophesy, that don't mean just to get us excited and make us run the aisles. Now, I want you to get excited, and I want you to run the aisles sometimes. Some of y'all ain't done a long time. Try it out. We need to do all those things. But there's another purpose behind that music. It's because it is used to put his word inside of us. There ain't no time tonight. I'm not smart enough tonight to go through all the details, but it's been scientifically proven. Music affects your brain in ways that ordinary talking don't affect it. There's times that certain sounds can literally rewire the connections in your head. And all of you, whether it's a godly song or something, it's not godly song. You can hear it too. All yeah. of a sudden, that song you had sung in 25 years. Words just yeah, come flowing back. Not only do those words become flowing back, but you get transported. And all of a sudden, you can see yourself sitting in that car. You can see yourself sitting there with Dairy Queen. You can see yourself sitting by your honey. Wherever it was, you heard that song. All of a sudden, you're back in that place. It's that Do we not know that God made it? And if we can take the things that we sing and the music that we play and it can insert the word of God in a place in the Holy Ghost into our hearts and minds. Can you imagine? Some of you have got lost children. Some of you have got lost grandchildren. They had grace and doors in this place in 10 years and in 15 years. But do you realize that they might be walking through the Walmart one day and somebody got messing with the system and somehow turned on the wrong radio station and all of a sudden they hear that song and in a moment, all of a sudden they can see themselves sitting in that Sunday school class, sitting in that pew, and they can remember the presence of God for the same all of them.
There's a lot of things in the book of Psalms. Most of it's very good. Most of it's very positive, very uplifting, but not all of it. Some of it is, Lord, avenge me of my enemies. Lord, how long are we going to be in this cave? Lord, how long are things going to be this way? When are you going to come down? Oh, God, your judgments are true. I should wish you to hurry up and do it. But the closing chapter, the closing chapter of the greatest book of praise that's ever been written reads like this. Praise you, the Lord. Praise God where? In His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. I always somebody would stand at their feet. Praise Him for the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him for the psaltery of heart. Praise Him for the temple of dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-standing cities. Let everything, everything. 